Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Man, good morning, church. Good morning. Man, y'all sound, y'all sound good this morning. That was, that was good. Um, if you got your Bible, make your way over to the book of Ruth. If we haven't met, my name's Spence. I'm the lead pastor here at Mercy Church. Um, we're in the book of Ruth, just kind of walking through it together. We're going to be in chapter three. If you're newer to the Bible, it's the eighth book. So kind of work your way from the very front go and you'll get there pretty soon. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. We have them out in the lobby. Um, this book, it's this really cool short summary. It's like, it's like a short story. It's a summary of three people who experience God's faithfulness in amazing ways in their lives. And we just get to look in and it's only four chapters long. That's very intentional. This is a story, and we are story. We are created as story people, story creatures, and it's only four chapters. You could tell it in four minutes. You could tell it to your child at bedtime. In fact, that's what the people of God have done for thousands of years to communicate about the character of God, have used the story of Ruth, uh, just even there at bedtime with their children to pass along the faith. It's beautiful, and yet this short story is filled with very powerful Powerful ideas about the character of God and the way he works in the world. It'll take you a lifetime to fully appreciate it. What I want to do real quick is I want to catch you up on where we are uh, because we're in chapter 3 and it's a pretty strange scene that's going to unfold in chapter 3. So let me catch us up to get us there, all right? Chapter 1, we meet two widows, Ruth and Naomi. We actually meet Naomi first. Naomi uh, was an Israelite. She's part of the people of God. But her husband, Elimelech, during a famine was like, we got to get out of here. The grass is greener over here in Moab. So we're going. They go out to the foreign land of Moab. They got a couple of sons. Well, the sons marry Moabite women. They're in Moab, one of whom is Ruth. All right. Well, Elimelech and their two sons, they die. All right. So Naomi is left with two daughter-in-laws. She decides she's going to return back home. And one of her daughter-in-laws says, our daughters-in-law, whichever way that works, one of them's going back with her. And that's Ruth. All right. So Ruth and Naomi decide they're going to return back home. And they arrive in Naomi's hometown of Bethlehem. That's right. Bethlehem. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Same Bethlehem. Generations later, Jesus is going to be born into. And when the people come out, of the little town of Bethlehem. They're like, hey, Naomi. She says, no, 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 don't call me that. You call, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me bitter. All right, call me Mara, which means bitter because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. You know what? She was right. Some providences of the Lord are sweet and some are bitter. Sometimes the Lord strips away things and it hurts and she recognizes the Lord's hand in her suffering. God does not expect us to pretend like everything is awesome all the time. All right? We can grieve and still believe. You talk to anybody who's 
walked with the Lord for a little while, and they'll tell you there's something especially refining that God does during dark days if you will trust him as you walk through them. He doesn't explain why he's taking you through it, but he promises to be with you, and if you'll trust him, he'll provide a kind of grace that you cannot get otherwise, only in suffering. That's what chapter 1 shows us. God wasn't finished with Naomi and Ruth. What they thought was a story that ended in bitterness was actually just chapter 1 in a beautiful story of redemption. It's a very powerful message coming out of chapter 1. Then chapter 2 opens, and it's barley harvest season. And all of y'all are like, ooh. No, there's a big deal, though, in this day, okay? And we learn, oh, there's an eligible bachelor in town. He's an older man, but good reputation, known to be generous and hardworking. Well, Ruth, in an attempt to provide for her older mother-in-law, she's like, well, I'm going to go out and glean in the fields. There was a Jewish law that told uh, all the farmers, leave some of your, basically some of your harvest, just leave it out in the field, kind of like scraps, for the foreigner so that we can provide for the foreigner in the land. So Ruth goes and gleans from those scraps, and she happens to wander into the field of this eligible bachelor named Boaz. And Boaz happens to be a relative of Naomi's, which means he happens to be perfectly suited under Jewish law to marry a widow of his relative. And chapter 2 tips us off to the idea that nothing just happens. It's a big thing we got from there. God is providentially behind the ordinary circumstances of our lives. Well, Boaz starts to make googly eyes at Ruth, okay? He provides protection for her from the young men in his field. He provides a lot of barley for this girl, even cooks her dinner, right? Takes care of her, sends her home with a bunch of leftovers and everything. And when Ruth tells Naomi uh, who it is that sent her home with all this stuff, Naomi gets hype because she knows, she knows who Boaz is, all right? He's a relative, which means according to their laws, he's got that legal right to marry Ruth, which means there's hope. And we get to the end of chapter two and there's a little bit of hope. Naomi is starting to see hope. A few bright rays of sunshine are piercing through that bitter cloud that's been hovering over Naomi. That brings us to chapter three. It's gotta be one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It is so strange, the scenario that's gonna unfold that we're gonna read, okay? But it is, I'm gonna tell you, it is romantic. It is beautiful. And it teaches us so much about the grace of God. So I'm going to draw out a message from chapter 3 for you and I that I believe it encapsulates so much about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The message is very simple. Whether you are in the sixth grade or you're in your 60s, the message is the same. It's just going to be over and over. I think what we're going to see is, is trust God and take a step. That's the message for us today. Trust God and take a step. The call to you today is to trust God, trust his character, to trust his word, trust he will provide for you, trust that he is the one working in these ordinary moments, and then take a step. Because what I believe is that God's providence unfolds through our actions, through our steps of trust, big and small, those little decision moments. Y'all, when we take those steps of trust, what you're going to see, we don't know how it's going to turn out. So what I love about the story of Ruth is there's so many of these moments where they don't know how exactly this is going to work when they take this step, and nor do we. Right? We can get godly counsel from people we trust, but ultimately, we can't like pray ourselves into seeing the future and knowing how it's going to work out. Faith doesn't work that way. 
We can't know the future. God doesn't want us to know the future because we'd miss out on closeness with God if we knew how everything was going to work out. Intimacy with God is built on trusting him. That's what I want us to get today. We can only trust God and take a step. I think that's the message for us. Trust him, take a step. Steps that put us into vulnerable spaces. And right there is where our faith grows. Our closeness to God grows and, we, and God gets glory. So I want to show you how that happens in the romance between Boaz and Ruth. How Naomi kind of leads them to take that step and then they take this, really it's like a leap. All three of them trusting God and taking steps. All right. Here we go. We're going to do it scene by scene, just walking through. All right, I'll kind of lay it out as scenes because it is like a, it's a little romance that happens here. All right, so we'll say scene one, verse one. This is Naomi's plan. All right, this is verses one through five, Naomi's plan. Well, verse one, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, shouldn't I find rest for you so that you'll be taken care of? Rest, by the way, that's her way of saying, shouldn't I? Provide security and provision. It's common for parents in this day to figure out a spouse situation for their kids, right? So she's saying, let me go. Let me find you a new husband because in a a husband you'll find rest. I think this is a noble and good motive. I think that there's some more that could be there for Naomi to discover still of trusting that God is providing. But I also think she's saying, hey, I think I know how God is providing here. All right, but then she devises a plan that's a little unusual. Verse two, now isn't Boaz our relative? Haven't you been working with his female servants? This evening, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. All right, now here's what's happened. Some time has passed since chapter two ended. There's been kind of a rhythm that's developed where Ruth is one of Boaz's female servants. So she goes, she gleans, she comes back with barley and time has passed and they've gotten into this rhythm. Right, And during that time, Naomi has been apparently scouting Boaz. And I'm going to use scouting instead of stalking because it sounds better. But you know how like old ladies in small towns know everybody's business, right? Like that is universally true. Still is true right there in Bethlehem. Tell me I'm wrong. Boaz owns the farm, right? And as the farm owner, you're still a guy who likes a good day's work. So he's going to be down at the threshing floor taking his turn doing this. This is hard work. You're tossing wheat up into the air. The wind's blowing the chaff away. The barley's falling down. You do it over and over. It's physical labor. And after a hard day's work, he's going to have a good meal. And then he's going to sleep really well. So Naomi tells Ruth, verse 3, I want you to wash, put on perfumed oil, and wear your best clothes. This is good so far, right? Clean yourself up. You want to make a good impression? You got to look good, smell good, right? That's simple 101. I want to encourage uh, all of the single men and women in the room, uh, you know, incorporate hygiene into your romantic pursuits. I think that's a good thing. I want to encourage married men and women in the room to continue (laughs) using hygiene, right? That's a good thing. But then the plan starts to raise some eyebrows. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he's lying. Go in and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will explain to you what you should do. So Ruth said to her, I will do everything you say. Okay, this needs a little explanation, all right? Especially because uncovering his feet is more accurately translated uncover his legs, okay? So Ruth, your assignment is to go uncover this guy's legs and lie down next to him. And when he wakes up, see what he says, all right? 
what do we do with this? All right, is, there's a couple of different ways we can read this. Like, is Naomi encouraging Ruth to use seduction to basically entrap Boaz into a commitment? Like, use what you got, girl, or that kind of thing? No, but there's a, a history to this. Like, um, you go over to Numbers 25, Ruth was a Moabite woman, and Moabite women were notorious for using their bodies to get the men of Israel to walk away from their faith. So is, is Naomi's plan for Ruth, is that what it is, seduction? Well, first, the easy reason we can say no is that this would not square up with God's law, and Naomi knows that. Naomi knows that God doesn't want any of us manipulating others with our bodies in hopes of finding long-term fidelity. Right In the words of the famous old dating proverb, if you get the ring the wrong way in your marriage, you will pay. Right? She knows that this is not, how, not a good way for this to work. Well, if it's not entrapment, what is it? I believe it, the best way, I think this is the best way Naomi knows to help her daughter-in-law appeal to the man that she has feelings for and to what God is doing. Boaz clearly has feelings for her. You see this story has been riddled with subtleties. That's the beauty of it, the beauty of this romance. You see Boaz providing grain for her, so much barley. I mean, what guy gives one girl this much barley, right? Only an interested guy. I was thinking back about when I was dating, um, dating my wife, Courtney, and uh, I was a lifeguard. She was a lifeguard. I was working in a pretty good pool, uh, but that pool didn't have Courtney Little at it, nor did any other pool on the planet. So I was like, I need to go find the pool that has Courtney Little working at it so that I could be around Courtney Little more, right? Um, guys and girls do things to be in proximity with people that they're interested in. Yeah, I see it here at church, right? Some of y'all are at church only because she is at church, right? It's okay. Or he is at church. That's fine. You're not going to be the first person that God saved while trying to get noticed by a guy or girl at church, all right? Nor will you be the last. God loves love, all right? He does. I think Naomi is for sure being a matchmaker, and she's putting the two of them in a place where they're going to have to acknowledge their romantic interest for one another. She is getting them out of the friend zone right here, right? But more importantly, Naomi is the first to see God is the one who set all these happenings in place in order for Ruth and Boaz to be together. That's a big thing here. Chapter 2 tipped us off to that. Naomi identified Boaz and blessed him. He's the kinsman redeemer. She sees these ordinary circumstances as God's providence. God is unfolding a plan. She sees it, and the providence of God doesn't stop her from acting. It compels her to take a step. More on that to come. So she tells Ruth, go uncover his legs, lay down beside him. This is not a sexual act that she is calling Ruth towards. But it's certainly filled with tension. I mean, it is an intimate act that's going to require them to take a step and, and basically explain and take a next step in their relationship to talk about uh, this kinsman-redeemer reality, right? A, a servant wouldn't do an intimate act like this. A friend certainly doesn't. Like, if any of my friends did this, like, we would no longer, our friendship would change for the worse, right? If this, <laughs> this were to happen, that didn't. only a spouse does this kind of thing. Like this is the action of a spouse. And so they're going to have this conversation. So let's move to scene two, the midnight proposal. Let's see what happens. Verse six. So there she goes down to the threshing floor and did everything that her mother-in-law had charged her to do. After Boaz ate, drank, and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the end of the pile of barley and she came secretly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. 
At midnight, Boaz was startled, turned over, and there lying at his feet was a woman. Exclamation point. (laughs) So he asked, who are you? Most understated retelling ever, by the way. Um, Dude had a hard work, a hard day of work, and um, a good meal. He's fast asleep. And most likely, you know, a lot of commentators are saying his legs are uncovered, and so the cool breeze that's been coming through the threshing floor wakes him up, and lying next to his legs is a look-good, smell-good woman. So he's like, whoa, this is unexpected. Who are you? And she says, all right, this is awesome. I'm Ruth, your servant. She replied, take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. Now, this was not part of Naomi's plan. Naomi said, lay there and wait for him to tell you what to do. And maybe to avoid any attempt at him getting the wrong idea about her intentions, she just says, she just says what she wants. She says, I'm Ruth, and this language right here of take me under your wing, you're a, fam- you're a family redeemer, Um, basically she's saying, marry me. Hey, I'm Ruth, marry me. Again, not sure this is a strategy I would recommend to um, single women, but this is what happens, right? Um, This statement by Ruth, when we Christians read it, oh man, this thing is like a, uh, it's like a good buffalo cheese dip. There's a lot of layers going on in this thing right here, okay? Um, take me under your wing. You're a family redeemer. She is proposing marriage to him. She is take. Oh, okay. Take me under your wing is Ruth using Boaz's words to show him that God has prepared him to be her husband. Boaz said to her in chapter two, look at this. This is Ruth 2.12. May the Lord, this is Boaz talking to Ruth after Boaz hears about what she has done for Naomi by trying to provide For his mother-in-law, he says, may the Lord reward you for what you've done. May you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Ruth, I see your faith. I see you. I see what, what an incredible act. I see your character. I see you trusting the Lord God of Israel. And Ruth is saying, Boaz, I believe you are God's refuge for me. I believe you are his blessing in my life. Man, how we need more of this. Men and women calling each other to rise up as God's agents of providence in one another's lives. I can't speak for women, but I know that that lights the right kind of fire under a man. Having his woman not call him out, but instead call him up. So she says, just like I went under God's wing, I want to be under your wing because that is God's providence, but there's even another layer because that word wing in the Hebrew, it is gloriously ambiguous, all right? It can also mean a a skirt instead of a wing, a skirt or a piece of clothing. And in Hebrew culture, a man covering a woman with his clothing was a promise that he would be her security going forward, all right? It's like an ancient Hebrew letterman's jacket or something like that, right? Or it's like, you're my girl, you know, and that's why you got this, right? And then, oh, What I want you to see also in her doing this, I think there's so much for us Christians. She sees that God has made a way for a foreigner. God has made a way for a widow. Through this Old Testament law, God has provided if she will just take hold of it. God has offered her something in his kindness, in the way he has set everything up. He has 
offered widows uh, redemption is the language of the text, offered them another family, offered them provision and security if she would just take hold of it. And I'm like, how many promises are available to us in Christ if we would just take hold of them? If we would just grab hold of them? The peace that passes all understanding, it is yours in Christ Jesus. Y'all, the the family of God and the gifts that God provides for us, it's all yours in Christ Jesus if we'll just lay hold of them. I think we leave so many promises from the Lord just sitting out on the table because we're afraid to trust him and take a step. Well, then he he responds. Verse 10, may the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now than before. Because you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor, Boaz sees her. He sees what's happening. He's reading the signs. It's a big trust God step. And he's expressing her uh, desire, seeing her desire for him. He's expressing desire. He says, this is kindness to him. Amen. I mean, he's saying, you didn't go after those younger guys and their man buns, right? No. You came to me. Gen Xer still wearing plaid. And verse 11, he says, don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say. Since all the people in my town know you are, this, you're a woman of noble character. He says, my town, it's noble character, saying, yes, I want, I want you. Because I see he's already praised her faith. And now he's praising her character. You're a woman of noble character. That's why I'm marrying you. Look good, smell good. Yes, that helps. Physical attraction helps. But you ain't going to look good, smell good every day the rest of your life. Plenty of days you're going to look rough, smell rough. Right? Ruth and Boaz are this like poster couple for people of character. Ruth was young, evidently strong. I mean, you think of the weight that she had to carry on her back for long distances, all this barley. Boaz, this older man, they're not your typical glamour duo. They're not Jay-Z and Beyonce. They're people of solid character. And true love is built on character over and above physical attraction. Like, I don't know any couple who stayed together because they were cute, all right? But I do know couples who have had long-lasting marriages because of their character, their love for God and then one another. In verse 12, he says, yes, it is true that I am a family redeemer, but there's a redeemer closer than I. Twist. Verse 13, stay here tonight, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you as the Lord lives, I will. Now lie down until morning. Full moon, threshing floor, privacy, beautiful woman. Can you feel the love tonight? All that. And Boaz thinks, God is doing something here. So I'm going to trust God. I'm going to take a step. And his step is holiness. It's obedience to his command that says the marriage bed should be pure and undefiled. He does not take advantage of Ruth here. No, he trusts God, trusts God. His word, trust what he sees happening around him as God's works. Listen to me real quick. I, sh- I got to say this. The notion that sex before marriage is no big deal. That you saying God is no big deal. 
you saying God's word is no big deal. That's you saying on the other side of the cross, Jesus and his salvation is no big deal. Boaz says yes to God. And that yes, this decision means he might never marry Ruth. He might never get his heart's desire. But he loves God and he loves Ruth too much to compromise her character for his pleasure. He trusts God and he takes a step, even that step of denying himself, and God blesses it. We'll see that in chapter 4. Look at verse 14. Scene 3, the next morning. She laid down at his feet until morning, but got up while it was still dark. And Boaz said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor, wants to protect their relationship from even the appearance of wrongdoing. Verse 15, he told Ruth, bring the shawl you're wearing, hold it out. When she held it out, (laughs) here he goes, doing his thing, shoveled six measures of barley into her shawl, and she went into town. Went to her mother-in-law, Naomi, who asked her, what happened, my daughter? And Ruth told her everything the man had done for her. And she said, he gave me these six measures of barley because he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Provide. He's a provider. Verse 18, Naomi said, my daughter, wait until you find out how things go, for he won't rest until he resolves this today. And chapter 3 ends right there. And we're all like, wait, no, what happens? That's next week. That's chapter four. Clearly need it. Or you can just read it. I mean, when you, you know, if you want, it's in the Bible. But um, I keep telling you all to read the Bible. Maybe now you will. This will be a good one to start on. Um, But what all three of these characters are doing, what I believe you and I need to take away today, they're trusting God. With the situation, the circumstances around them, they're submitted to God and looking at what God might be doing and how he's using them. They're trusting God and taking a step. So let me start with trusting God. Because this, y'all, is the, the deeper layer here for us on the other side of the cross and resurrection. I say that often around here. What I mean is I believe, because Jesus taught this, that we are to see the entire Old Testament, all the law and the prophets, as talking about him. Boaz is one of the most clear foreshadowers of Jesus in the Old Testament. Think about this for a second. He is a redeemer who has the legal capability to bring a foreigner in and make her his bride. But on top of that, he also loves this woman. He desires her. That's the foreshadowing of Jesus. One who is legally capable to redeem us. The only one who could pay for our sin is one who has no sin. He is legally capable as one who has no sin. He can make us acceptable to God. To redeem us for us will mean paying for our sins, and the payment for our sin is death. The gospel is a love story. We're just like Boaz is going to go speak for Ruth because he loves her. So Christ is going to go and speak for us. He loves you so much, in fact, he's willing to trade his life for yours. And the gospel says you and I are like Ruth. We have no right to be a part of God's family. We are beggars. We are actually worse off than Ruth. Because when we sin, we actually outright betray and reject God. We say to him, we don't want you. We run to the foreign land of Moab, and we have no right or ability to come back to God. But out of his great love for us, God sent the greater Boaz. Jesus, our Redeemer, Ephesians 2, 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, 
made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. Grace. Told you our big thing today is to trust God and take a step. That first thing, though, trust God. I want you to embrace and receive the love of the God I'm telling you you can trust. This God went to the cross for you. He loves you. This is a love story, this gospel of a husband redeeming his bride and making her new and perfect and taking her into his forever home. I think maybe the biggest reason we don't trust God like we could, not only like we should, but like we could, like what's available to us is that he's either too small in our eyes or his love for us is too weak in our hearts. Y'all, God is providentially working all things. What if, what if you actually believed what Scripture would say to be true, which is that everything that happened in your past was a message from God, part of his plan, to get you right here, right now. You, you might smirk at that like, yeah, uh, yeah, you know. No, what if that's actually true? God's behind all of that. And his very big message to you from a very big God is that he loves you. He loves you. And think about the intensity of his love. We don't think about the intensity of that love. I think we kind of like write that off of, I don't know, maybe the word love is too watered down. Let me give you Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon 8, 6 and 7. Some of y'all that know this book are like, what are we about to read? Listen to this. Song of Solomon 8, 6, 6 and 7. For, the, for love, and this is the love of God for you. Is strong as death, jealousy as fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it out. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. That is the intensity of the love of God that he has towards you and I. He loves you. He loves you and he has offered you redemption. And unlike Ruth, he does not call you to clean yourself up in order to receive this love. We simply get to receive it in our mess and in our filth. We can receive it. Maybe the reason you haven't taken any bold steps of faith is because you've forgotten the power and intensity of either God himself or his love towards you. He is God, unchanging in character, all-powerful, providentially overseeing the world, and he has chosen in his sovereign plan to direct that size that intensity of love onto you and onto me. It's incredible. Like a parent hovering right by a child, you know, telling them to take their first steps. The kid's going to be fine when the kid takes those steps. Dad's right there. The hand is just out of reach, just enough so that the kid can take the step. And then dad's going to catch him and celebrate, right, as soon as he does. That's the step God's calling you to take. He loves you. He loves you. And his way that he's communicated that, the explanation for his relationship to you is both as a husband, loves his bride, as a father, loves his child. Let's talk about that step. Trust God and take a step. The idea of the providence of God, that God is in control and nothing happens outside of his will, sometimes I see that kind of I'm going to say this metaphorically, paralyzing Christians from taking any real steps of faith. Like, well, God's going to do what God's going to do. Well, that didn't stop Naomi, Ruth, or Boaz. They didn't sit back and say, well, if God wants it to happen, you know, it'll happen. That is true. But what if God wants to use you to be the agent of his providence? 
What if instead of being paralyzed by providence, we were pushed by it? Pushed by it to follow God and follow his commands. What if we start looking for what God is doing around us? We start praying the question, God, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And what do you want to do through me here? What do you want for me here, God? Naomi recognizes God's providence when Ruth, the minute Ruth says the name Boaz, she said, God's up to something. God's doing something. And Naomi's the one who's called to shepherd Ruth, who's a foreigner, uh, figure out how to shepherd her through this relationship. Ruth sees God as doing something, so she takes a big risk and proposes to Boaz. Boaz sees God as doing something, so instead of taking advantage of Ruth, he trusts God. He chooses righteousness over self-gratification. So let's run the trust God and take a step idea over your life. Do you trust God enough to obey his call on your life? I was thinking about it really just this morning. That I see this trust God and take a step thing usually ends up falling into one of three categories that I'm gonna, all going to start with the letter F, all right? Uh, it's faith, finances, and family. And these are the three that I see in Charlotte, but probably broader, but I definitely see them in our context, all right? Of, are we going to trust God in faith? And that first one, y'all, some of y'all need to see that God has been working, organizing the circumstances of your life to get you right here, right now, so that you will finally trust him, receive his message of forgiveness, receive his offer of forgiveness and stop running from him like you've been running from him, trying to do your own thing and finally receive it. Lay, lay down all those reasons that you've had that have kept you from receiving salvation, receiving his forgiveness and finally surrender. And for some of y'all, that, that faith is the faith to go and share this hope of Christ with a friend. Do you trust him enough that he has providentially put you in that friend's life, that neighbor's life, that teammate's life, that coworker's life, to see them come to faith? Yes, God is sovereignly working all things. The people are God's plan A for bringing about his redemption. What if he wants to use you? Faith, I see it in finances. We trust God. The Lord calls Christians to sacrificial generosity, not just excessive comfort. Com comfort, y'all, is a... It's a, a deceptively slow death, all right? God says your money's his money, calls you to give it to his mission. Will you trust him and take a step and see what happens? Trust him with it. What about family? I think the root cause of a lot of the helicopter parent problem is I don't trust God with my kids. So I'm gonna hover. What would it mean to trust God and take a step in your parenting? Maybe it means prioritizing prayer in your home. Never too late to start discipling your children. No, you don't know how they're going to receive it. That's the point. Trust God and take a step. I mean, I think about the decision process to leave the church that I was at and come plant Mercy Church with a team of people. The, the moment that it crystallized for me was when I looked at Courtney and I said, uh, our sons are six and five. In 10 years, they'll be 16 and 15. And in 10 years, I want to be able to tell them that when I saw God working, I saw what it seemed like God was doing. I didn't back off and say, you know what? God will take care of things. But instead, I trusted God and I took a step. And so we got to go. That's what God's calling us towards. Trust God and take a step. And we had no idea what would happen. Trust God, take a step. And so the area of family, for you that are, uh, let's just think about the area of romance. Bring it back to, to our story here. Trust God, practice purity. Trust God. Take a real step. Ask the girl out. Seriously, what are you waiting on? 
Trust God. Ask her to marry you. Husbands and wives, trust God. Make an attempt at romance again. I know it's been a minute. Maybe your world started revolving around your kids. Husbands, I know that you're clumsy, but you said in your vows that you're going to cherish her until death do you part. So look good, smell good. Tell her how much you love her. Write it down if you need to. How you see Christ in her. And go out to dinner where there's no kids. Trust God and take a step. He loves love. He loves it and he wants to show off his love for all people primarily and first through your marriage, Ephesians 5 would tell us. Take a step. You are the person God has chosen to work through in your spouse's life. Step up and see what God has for you. You figure it out. Our next, one of our big values around here is that we believe everybody has a next step in following Jesus. And we want to help one another take that next step. I believe this wholeheartedly. And it's in that step, just like Naomi took, just like Ruth took and Boaz took, it's in that step. Man, that's where God grows us and we grow closer to him. So trust God and take a step. Let me pray for you. And let me give you a chance to respond. Before I pray over you, I want to ask you to respond. What is the step God's calling you to take? What's the step he's calling you to take? For those of you that don't know Christ or haven't received his forgiveness yet, I want to invite you to take that step. It's amazing to me that all you have to do is receive the forgiveness that he offers. You can pray this prayer right there in your own heart and mind to him. It's between you and God. It's just, God, I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose from the grave giving me new life. So I'm turning from my sin. I receive it today. I receive your forgiveness in Christ. Thank you, God, for saving me. For all of us, I just want you to rest in the Father's love for you. The gospel is a love story. God has come for you. Would you just thank him afresh? Maybe it's been a while. Maybe it's been a while since your heart has been warmed towards God and his love for you. You just thank him. Thank you, God. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Tell him you love him. Ask him for the courage for that next step. God, would we walk out of here overwhelmed by your love? In all that God would love wretched sinners like us. Thankful that you love us. Empowered by that love to take steps to to give this love to others who need it. May we be agents of your love. We know that you are working in our world. We believe you're working in all these circumstances around us. So God, would that encourage us, embolden us to take steps of obedience to your word for your glory and our good. 
Help us to be a people of courageous faith. Overwhelmed by the love of Christ for us. We worship you, Father. We pray it in Christ's holy name.